Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Adam Klickfeld. I want to explore with you uh, some verses in the Torah that don't get explored that often. Um, and you might say to me, I explore this all the time, Rabbi, what are you talking about? But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess that's not the case. Herb, do you have a sheet? You got a paper? Yeah, okay. So open up your Eitz Chaim, or if you're at home from a different Chumash, to Bamidbar chapter 9. In Parshat Balotcha, and my apologies that there's a typo on this sheet. The ayin is missing from Beha'alotcha, and I'm aware of it. Okay, so um, here we are in the desert. And Parshat ben Midbar, sorry, Sefer ben Midbar is a bit of journeying, some narrative, and some reinforcement of rules. Uh, not a whole lot of new rules. Not none, but not, not a whole lot of new rules. And look what happens in the opening lines of chapter 9 of uh, Midbar, page 819. By the bear Adonai HaMoshet, God said to Moses, In the wilderness of Sinai, in the second year since they left Egypt, on the first day of the month, sorry, on the first month. And what's the first month biblically? Nisa. Okay. So in terms of when the year, the odometer of the years turn over, that's Tishri. But the Bible has never heard of that as the beginning of a, or at least the Torah has never heard of that as the beginning of a year. We, we understand the biblical calendar to have reset itself. Nisan corresponding to the birth of our people. So it's the birth of the new year. So the Torah says that, when the 14th day of this month comes, this month, at dusk, tasu oto b'moado, you should, uh, sorry, skip the verse. So now this is the second year, right? You've been out a year, and you should do the Pesach in its, in its appointed time. What does it mean in the Torah to do the Pesach? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Right. It doesn't mean a Seder, right? It means to fulfill the uh, offering of the Korban Pesach, uh, one of only two uh, mitzvot in the Torah that are mitzvot aseh, meaning things that you must do versus as opposed to things that you must not do, for which the punishment of not doing it is what we call karet, being cut off from the Jewish people. The other one, anyone know? Read Mila, right? Those are the only two thou shalt that if you don't do it, you get cut off from the line of the Jewish people. Every other karet mitzvah is things that you shouldn't do, but you do anyway. And then the Torah says in verse 3, on the 14th day on that month, at dusk you shall do it, at its appointed time, all of its laws and all of its statues, you should do it. Verse 4, next page. So Moses instructs the Israelites to do exactly that. And they did it. In the first month, on the 14th day, at dusk, in the middle of the, de- of the desert, right? It's not just that it was done once when they left. Comes around again, time to do it. Everything that God had commanded them to do, they did. Could have ended there, right? So nice. It's a year later. They're in the desert. They remember the Exodus. God told them to do the Pesach. The Pesach now gets established as a forever thing. And then verse 6 comes along. There were, it's an interesting verb, because it really should be Vayihiyu Anashim, right. which is plural. 
So it's uh, comment, we're not, it's not what we're looking at right now, but commentators are curious about the fact that it's a singular <laughs> verb, um, but a plural uh, subject. It might be vaihi, and it came to pass that anashim asher hayut adam that men who had been tmeim again the uh, the best English word to render tmeim is impure, but it's a terrible word. It doesn't mean mean impure here. It means they were in a state of of, of ritual to toxicity or lack of health. Lenefesh adam uh, because of the of a nefesh of, of a man. What does that mean? Yeah. Death, yeah. right? Yeah. Nefesh in, we talk about nefesh kind of in modern Jewish speak, it refers to soul. In the Torah, nefesh actually meant body. So they had become tamay as a result of caring for someone who was dead. And because of that state, right, in order to participate in Korban Pesach, you had to be tahor, not tamay. Below yachlub, by the, uh, that's one of the reasons why washing our hands is a very significant ritual in Seder, because uh, you're not allowed to, um, even though our Seder is like a, is only a remnant of what it once was when the uh, sacrifice was eaten, there, there are, there's a seriousness to making sure that we are tahor when we're participating in this kind of quasi ritual. And they couldn't do the Pesach offering on that day. They came up in front of Moses and in front of Aaron that day, they said, who said it? They, those men, they spoke to him. We are halachically impure because of contact with a human corpse. Why should we lose out? Gimel reish ayin means to be less, to, to be diminished. Why should we have a diminished religious experience? This is our first time since Exodus night, that we have an opportunity to commemorate Exodus night. It's been a year ago. Why? Just because we happened to come into, we didn't ask to be coming into contact with someone who's dead. Why should we miss out on being able to fulfill this ritual? Uh, Why should we not be able to offer the sacrifice? We would like to. It's not like we're shirking our responsibilities. And it's at, at its appropriate time. Amongst the people of Israel. Moses said to them, like step away, right? Maybe Veshma and and uh, and I will take, I will listen in closely. What God is going to instruct, right? Uh, as if Moses saying, "I don't know the answer." Good question. Let me go consult with the one who does know the answer, the Kaddish Baruch Hu, and you'll get your answer. And then it gets resolved. God said to Moses, saying, speak to the people of Israel, saying." If you have a person who was, this is the category that was raised in the verse, who is Tamela Nefesh, who has become ritually Tamei because of contact with a corpse, and God adds in another category, so all of a sudden there was a petition for a leniency in the law, and God actually responds seemingly more lenient than even was requested. They said the reason why we couldn't do Pesach is because we were in contact with a corpse, God says, well, if you, if that happened, or you happen to be away for the weekend. Lachem, remember the word lachem, because the word lachem does not really uh, work well in the verse. It means to you, but it'd be hard to figure out what the word to you means in the setting. So if, if any person who was uh, impure because of contact with a corpse or was on a faraway road to you, weird phrase, 
or for generations. Maybe you can understand it to mean like, like whether it's now or in the future, possible. That person should still be able to offer uh, a Pesach offering. The second month, what's the month after Nisan? ER. So wait another month. On what day? The same day you would have done it on the first month. By the way, we observe Pesach on the 15th of Nisan, but the Korban was done as the sun was going down on the 14th, right? So that's why they keep referring to the 14th. Bein harbayin at dawn, yasu oto, they should do it. Almatzot morim yochluhu, you should recognize that phrase from the, um, yeah, from, from the uh, Korech, part of the Haggadah. Right, that they ate it on matzah and with bitter herbs. It's also even before the Haggadah. It's also in in the in the uh, Torah itself, because everyone thinks matzah was created when they were leaving in a hurry, but they were eating matzah with the korban pesach and with maror. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Um. The Torah continues, Lo yashiru mimeno ad bokir, don't leave any over until the morning, ve'etzem lo yishpruvo, don't break any bones, kechol chuchata pesach yasuoto. Okay? Um, basically do it as, as you would have done it the first time around. So basically, in Parshat Balodcha, some people complain, they complain that they were not able to participate in a key ritual that commemorated their exodus from Egypt. They ask for a do-over, God gives a do-over, and God gives a do-over more leniently than they requested. There, are, there, You can ask endless questions of this, but there are classically two questions that are asked on this ritual, known as Pesach Sheni, the second Pesach, right? One is, why did God accede to their request? Why did God build into halacha, Jewish practice, the notion of, yeah, you missed out? Do it again. You miss, you miss Hanukkah? You know, do it the next week. And then the concomitant question is, why only for this, right? Why was it offered and why was it only offered here? Because as far as all of us know, there is no other ritual. You can't do Purim two days late. If you miss Hanukkah, you were traveling, you don't have a Hanukkah, even though Hanukkah, some people see is a replacement for a Sukkot that was done late when the Israelites finally got back and the Jews got back to the temple after it was desecrated and they couldn't have done Sukkot on time. There's no other ritual or no other mitzvah that is uh, that we know of that has a certain time where you're supposed to do it. That if you miss it, even for a legitimate reason, you're able to do it another time. So why does God say yes, and why does God say yes only to this? So let's hear a couple of answers on the table. Um, pass the mic as much as possible because I do want the people on Zoom to be able to hear. Uh, Barry, um, I know it'll be a little clunky to pass it around, but it's worth it. Well, it's been said already. It's 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 one of two thing, two commands. If you don't do it, it's correct. So, so I see. So since the stakes are so high for doing it, we're going to give you a chance to do it. And we're going to give you credit for having done it in its own time, even though you didn't do it in its own time. It's God's command. I mean, uh, it's not fair. Yeah. It's an interesting comment because while you can't do a bris early, you can do it late, right? So one shouldn't do it late. But if you didn't do the bris on the eighth day, you should still do it on the ninth. And if you didn't do it on the ninth, you should still do it on the tenth, right? It's not, it's not that it's, but it's worked into the Torah that you know, if one misses a bris, one does it then a week later, but you can still get quote unquote credit for doing a brief milah, even if you do it at the right time. Alan? No, no, I'm uh, just holding the mic. Other, other, other questions or other, other possible answers? Yes, Judy. 
Thank you, Rabbi. Um, it's the first time reading this that it occurs to me that this example is incredibly significant because it becomes, to me, almost a foundational text for when, if for whatever reason, a person can't do it, but they are yearning to do the mitzvah. Mm. And the answer is, do it, but the second month, the 14th day. And the answer then implies, do it, but with a great sense of kavanah uh -huh. and individual responsibility that to the best way that you are able to do it the right way. Great. So what Judy says is going to connect to the last source we'll look at eventually, that maybe what this is connected to, what's significant here is not only that it's Pesach, but that they were yearning, they were begging, they were pleading. They, they, they wanted to not miss out on this opportunity of connecting with God. And the answer is, we're going to respond to that yearning, but you can't just do it willy-nilly. You have to do it on a particular day, at a particular time, something you can do it whenever you want, and you have to do it to all the specifications. Great. Anyone else before we look at some of the sources? Sandra? Perhaps it has to do as well with the um, importance of remembering our foundational story. Aha. Uh -huh. So what Sandra's offering is that maybe it's not just a kind of a halachic thing that if you don't do it, you're karait, but this is not just any holiday. This is how this is a holiday commemorating our birth as a people. And if there's any holiday for which we'd say, yeah, of course you should make it up, it's this one. Purim, not a big deal. Obviously, Tori didn't know from Purim. But, you know, Sukkot, you know, you, you can make counter arguments for why any other holidays is not as significant. Maybe this one. Okay, let's look at some of the um, commentators um, who are answering several different questions on the material. Uh, the first source is Ibn Ezra, Spanish commentator, uh, a grammarian, and a, um, a, a dactican. He's, he's very, very, very focused on, on the specific language of each, each phrase. On the phrase, Vayhi Anashim, is what he says. It doesn't make any sense that there would be a camp of Israelites that big that would not have people dying every day. That's all he says. I'm asking you, what is he saying? What is he saying or in what way is he weighing in on what's going on here? Uh, Norm and then Vered? Always there's going to be somebody who has this problem. Every Pesach. Every Pesach, there's going to be somebody who has this problem, who will have been involved with taking care of a dead person, or for some other reason will not be able to participate in Korban Pesach. Okay, so what Norm is saying is that this is a, a regular thing. Um, what question do you think the Ibn Ezra is answering? Saying, Why were people missing this uh, holiday? Okay, Stevie, and then Barrett? He's saying that didn't they purify every single day? And the answer is even if they purified every single day, someone died that day. Uh-huh. So there, there, if you're going to um, have a ritual that's time-bound, that requires a certain level of ritual purity in order to participate in it, you're putting a stumbling block before the blind, as Minister basically saying, because... You, there can never be a Pesach in which everyone's able to participate in it. And because you're allowed to participate in other rituals without being uh, uh, fully pure, 
there's not the same reason in order to that allows people to do it again. But you can't even conceive of a Pesach where the entire community could observe it because someone must have died that day. Bered? Just the same idea like Stevie. You know, that when you say Anashim, then Anashim is plural. So that people, you know, the camp of Israel is big and they, the word Anashim means many people. So this can happen every day, I mean, at this time, uh, that people will die at, at the same time. So he's actually, you know, as said, Dr. Khan is looking at the word anashim. Yes, and I think he's being what we'd say, he's trying to read very favorably the situation, that it really could be the case that these people were not people who had forgotten and then created a pretense or were lazy. If you imagine with some kind of um, magical thinking that the ancient Israelites walking through the desert were already living a fully halachic and observant lifestyle, and they were taking care of the people who were who were dying in their family, in their group of family and friends, then it would be the case that that there would have to be a group of people who would therefore be um, ineligible, and therefore God should have almost anticipated. God, it's almost as if Ibnezer saying, God, you responded positively to their request. You should have known from the first place that it would be an imposition on the community to have such an obligatory ritual in that's out there that couldn't possibly be observed by everyone simultaneously. Okay, look at Chizkuni, French commentator in, from Provence. He actually reads it, um, not he reads it in, in the opposite direction, but he, but, he, but he kind of is answering it from a different angle. On the phrase, Vayhi Anashim, he says, Echad Oseh Pesach Sheni Tzibur. It's interesting when he pulls out the word Anashim, because Anashim is plural, right? Um, I don't know if here he's, this is, I'm not sure if what he's commenting on is the singular verb that we talked about before, but what he says is this rule only applies, this leniency only applies to an individual who makes the claim, not the entire community that makes the claim. It can't be that that Temple Betham says, you know what, you know, Pesach came this year and wouldn't you know it, all of us were Tamel and Efesh Adam. We're going to do all of Pesach a month late. That doesn't fly. But an individual who makes the claim that he or she was ineligible to perform this mitzvah because they had been performing in another mitzvah, which is to take care of the dead, they can make that claim, but not an entire community. Again, I'm not sure what the hook on, is on the verse that he's commenting on. Maybe the fact that it's a plural subject, but a uh, singular <laughs> verb. But look at his next comment on the phrase, Asher He's trying to figure out uh, he doesn't read it like Ibn Ezra to suggest that there were people dying every single day and there, how could it not be the case? He's trying to figure out who had died or what corpse were they connected to that was so significant such that even though they knew that Pesach was coming, they couldn't get themselves into a state of ritual purity. Rabbi Yitzchak Omeri quotes um, a, a source from the, from the Midrash called the Sifri, and he says, Rabbi Yitzchak says, Im no se arano shal yosef. If they had been the ones who were carrying the coffin of Joseph with his bones, as they promised to take it out of Egypt, 
they would have been able to purify themselves. There's a commentary on the Chizkuni that goes into the, the whole math of this. It basically kind of figures out where they were on this particular day, and by, by, by tracing what happened to Yosef's coffin, etc., it's basically saying, even if they had been the ones performing that mitzvah, they should have had time to go to the mikvah. Let's say they were the ones who were responsible for carrying the coffins of Nadav and Abihu, the sons of Aaron who were uh, killed back in Parshat, Parshat Shmini. They also should have been had the time. So if it was the case that they weren't of the, they weren't in the category of people that we might assume were always in contact with a corpse, who might have they have been? Whom were they impure for? They were impure for a mate mitzvah. Mate mitzvah literally means um, a, 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 the mitzvah of a dead person. What it means is taking responsibility for the burial and proper disposition of an anonymous corpse. I think what the Chizkuni is saying is very different than Ibn Ezra. Ibn Ezra is saying it would be impossible for the entire community to observe Pesach at any given time because someone's always dying. Chizkuni is saying, no, it's not that someone's always dying, but there must have been you know, in the camp of 600,000 people walking through the desert, someone who fell by the wayside, no one claimed, no one knew that person. And a couple of people said, we're going to take it upon us to make sure this person has a proper burial. They were the ones who um, were in the situation. <laughs> the significance of the Chizkuni saying that is that Nate Mitzvah is one of the highest classes of Mitzvah. Right? There's discussions in the Talmud about if you have an opportunity to do this mitzvah or that mitzvah, which one do you do? It's like a hierarchy. And at the top of that hierarchy is made mitzvah. You, you forego uh, hearing the Megillah for a made mitzvah. You can violate Shabbat for a made mitzvah. Right? There's, there's considered to be nothing wholly more significant than being personally responsible to dispose of the remains of someone for whom there's no one to dispose of those remains. Okay, um, so he's once again describing this as a category of people who were worthy to ask that question. Turn it over. That's, uh, so far we've dealt with the question of why there were even people in that category at all. Now we're coming to the question, perhaps, of why it's an important paradigm in Jewish thinking and why Pesach itself. Okay, anyone ever heard of the collection called the Hay Oh yeah, Marshall? Can someone give Marshall the microphone? Yeah. I don't understand a certain word, the first word. Vayhi anashim. That's singular. Right. you anashim. Right. And if you look at the tropes, the tropes are conjunctive trope. Right. It didn't yeah, make we, sense to me. Yeah, I mentioned that. Word, yeah. that I'm not quite sure. It would yeah. make sense if they were disjunctive trope, as if, yeah. as if the vayhi yeah. were, and it came to pass, right? Yeah. Um, and maybe that's what Chizkuni is talking about, uh, focusing on the singularity of the verb, and why he says that only an individual can make this claim, not the community. There was a case. There was a case. And therefore, vayhi acharad vrim ha'ela, right? Right. Sorry. I didn't catch it when you said it the first time. All good. Going back. Anyone know what the Hayom Yom is? Collection. It's a collection of of wisdoms and witticisms for, for each day in the Hebrew calendar from the Lubavitch tradition. Some of them attributed to Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, who was the founder of, of, of Lubavitch. Some attributed attributed to Menachem Mendel Schneerson. But if you're a Lubavitch or Chassid, this is like um, like your 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 daily boost of of um, of insight and and wisdom, okay, and it's written in Yiddish. Uh, so this is it's been a long time since I had a Yiddish text on a source sheet. 
So what does the Hayom Yom say for the 14th of ER, the 14th of ER being the day on which Pesach Sheni would, would be observed? This is what it says. Pesach Sheni Inyano is. So the Inyan, the matter of Pesach Sheni is the following. Es is nitekain farfalen. There's no such thing as failure. You, whether, whatever you feel about Hasidic readings of text, try to dive into what's beautiful here, right? He's trying to pull out a macro principle from a micro halakh. It's really a pre-halachic notion, but from a, a micro ruling of the, of the Holy One about Pesach Sheni, what, what, what's the underlying or overarching wisdom going on here? This is teaching us that there's no such thing as a final failure. Farfallen is a great word. Farfallen, you can, you can even see the word failure in the word, right? Um, Farfallen reminds me of farfetched, which also sounds like it should be Yiddish, but it's not. Um, Farfallen somehow is strong and it's like fallen. It reminds me of the concept of a fallen angel, of a really an abject kind of a failure. Right. According to Lubavitch, you're thinking, it, the, you shouldn't even think the concept exists. If you fall or if you fail, you've deluded yourself because there's always an opportunity to get up. Men can ala mal farichten. You can always fix it. There's no failure for which there's no fixing. Afilu even if you were a shmutzedek person. And that's what he means when, he, when he's quoting the word tameh here. He's not, he's not reading it in context. He's not saying even if you had come into contact with the chorus, but even if you are a tameh person. Or you're on a distant road. What he means by this is not travel. You would straight off the derech. This, by the way, is whatever you think about them, Lubavitch philosophy, right? There's no Jew that isn't ripe for being mekarev, for being brought back into the fold. Unafilu lachem. And even if it was lachem, he's doing something very interesting here. I say he, I'm not sure which he it is. I don't know if it's Zalman, I don't know where it stems from. Look back in the, the verse itself. Look at verse eight, um, 10. Remember I told you about the word lachem that is weird, that, it, that it's hard to figure out what it's for? The Torah says, if you were the word lachem is out there waiting to be drashed. What Lubavitch says about it, even if the reason that kept you away was not mitzvah, but it was for your own benefit. It was for you. You were doing something else. You were, it was more convenient. You were taking care of yourself. Even if the reason why you strayed and didn't perform that mitzvah on time is because you were um, pleasing, doing something pleasing to yourself, as dos is given birtsono, and you intentionally missed it. You intentionally missed Pesach last year, right? This is the part of Lubavitch philosophy that I can get behind, even though I'm, 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 I'm not always a fan of their methods. But their approach is, you missed Yom Kippur last year? Good news, it's coming up again. You missed, you missed Shabbos last year? You didn't light Shabbos candles? In three days, have the chance. You didn't put on tefillin yesterday? I don't care. Put on tefillin today. My father, by the way, who grew up the son of a reform rabbi, has put on tefillin once in his life. I always say that my, my, my personal minhag on Chol HaMoed is that I follow my father's minhag and I don't put on tefillin. <laughs> put on tefillin. He's put on tefillin once in his life at uh, Ben Gurion Airport on the right before boarding a flight. He got he got Lubavitch and he put on. It's the only I was putting on. Right? Um, and you know when I'm when I'm when I'm sometimes exposed to that, I, I sometimes I get a 
a weird feeling. Um, you know, is that really what Torah is about? Is like, you know, finding the Jew on the street and, and, and bringing the Mashiach by wrapping tefillin. But if you break it down, what they believe is, it does not matter to me if you have failed in your approach to mitzvah every single day up until today, today you have an opportunity to fix it. There's something beautiful about that, even though I'm not completely comfortable with the methods. As dos is given it was in your will. I don't know how to pronounce this. Fundestvegen can men metaken zayin. I guess fundestvegen means nevertheless, deliberate. Um, yeah. So you can fix it. There's something sweet about this, right? And what's wonderful is this is not a halachic approach because the halachic approach is that this is specifically for Pesach. You can't do it for other things. Chassidut says, yeah, okay, there's a, there's a halachic Jewish life and there's a, a Jewish life way beyond halacha, even though they want people to be more halachic, right? You can come back. The door is always open. However many opportunities you missed to do a mitzvah, there's one coming up right in front of you. Okay. Um, oh, and um, uh, elsewhere in the text that I bring it, they all, who said that this is that the reason why this is significant because this is the story of the people's birth? This was that you. They said that that because Pesach is the birth of peoplehood, it was important for in a Lubavitch philosophy to say that the birth of the people had built into it the notion of you've never failed so much that you can't succeed again, right? And that's why this was, this came through Pesach and not any other mitzvah, right? Built into the birth story of our people is that a Jew has never failed so much that he or she cannot come back into the door. Okay? I like to think we feel that way in our community as well, but we're not as proactive about sharing that message on the street. Okay, and the last source, what time is it? Okay, broken. It's also a good it's a wonderful life lesson. Yeah. It's a wonderful life lesson, except that sometimes life is not that way. Sometimes one has failed too much and certain opportunities are no longer there for you. But you certainly want to teach your children that, that when you fall down, then it gives you an opportunity the next day to stand up, right? Okay, another Hasidic text, Shlomo HaKohen Rabinowitz. What I think he was the first Radomska Rebbe, either the first or the second, 19th century. And he's asking the question, why Pesach and nothing else? Sorry, not asking, he's ask, not asking why Pesach. He's asking, why does, why, uh, does this story produce a second chance uh, in this particular narrative? We have not found in the entire Torah any mitzvah that is established at a particular moment, as opposed to like, you know, tzedakah. You give tzedakah whenever you want to. It's not like you have to give tzedakah on a certain day at a certain time. There's no other mitzvah that has tashlumin. Tashlumin means makeup at another time. Rak be korban pesach bilvad. Only when it comes to the korban pesach, kavat Torah zman mitzvah, that the Torah established a second opportunity to the mitzvah. Lama? Why? Lefi shehayu anashim Israel shehit amtsu According to the Radomsker, why does God say yes? Because they wanted it so badly. Because they were people of the Israelites that that endeavored and tried so hard to do the mitzvah. We take them for granted. We, we take it seriously. Maybe he's like almost connecting to what the Chizkuni said. The only reason that they kept away from Pesach is that they were performing a mitzvah even more important than Pesach, which is a mitzvah. They wanted it and they yearned for it. They were pleading. And they were requesting, why should we be diminished from doing mitzvah A just because we're doing mitzvah B? They wanted it so badly. 
and he learns a wide teaching from this. So too, the grand redemption of the Jewish people will happen in this way. If Israel demands it, if we insist it, if we are um, unwavering, if we are uh, passionate and, um, and, and uh, working hard in our heart and our soul, to inherit the land of our ancestors, of our birth, um, redemption will come. He's living in the 19th century, pre-Zionism, right? He's not, he's, not, he's not living at a time where the, the, the land of Israel was back in Jewish hands. And I'm not even thinking, I don't even think he's talking about it from a, uh, he wouldn't have understood the concept of the state of Israel, but he's not talking only about living in the land of Israel. He's talking about when will our people who suffered and who have wandered and have been kicked out and are homeless, when will they hit redemption? He gives an answer which is wonderful and impossible, when they want it enough. Right? The problem with that is that people might have said, we, we, we certainly wanted enough in the times of the Crusades and still they slaughtered us. And we wanted enough, Rabbi Nachman wanted it too in the 18th, 19th century and it still wasn't enough. But it's, a, it's an aspirational teaching to suggest sometimes when you haven't gotten something important, and you think the reason you haven't gotten it is because someone else has, has stopped you. Maybe it's right to ask yourself, have I endeavored hard enough for that thing that's significant to me? And maybe when all the Jewish people want redemption enough, perhaps then it will come. I'll tell you a story, um, um, which is gonna sound funny and silly compared to this, but it, it connects to me. And I've shared the story, I think in the Rashi class before. So if, if you're in the class and you've heard it, I apologize for the, um, for the redundancy. When I was in rabbinical school, and I was in that, in that stage in life where not only did I want to be really, really careful about every particular religious practice, but I wanted to make sure my rabbis knew that I was very careful, right? <laughs> I'm not necessarily proud of that. It was, it was like the way of like, you know, showing to your teachers how firm you were. I got to Kabbalah Shabbat at JTS a little bit late. Uh, and by the time I got into the room where they were davening, they were already in the middle of, of Kabbalah Shabbat. And uh, I had missed Mincha. And it was right, the sun was already going down. I wasn't sure. And I was like thinking all the sources that I knew. And I went over to my teacher, Rabbi Frankus, who at the time was like the, 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 the Talmudist and the Halachas par excellence. And if, and if you wanted to show how from you were, you would show Rabbi Frankus. And I went over to Rabbi Frankus and I said, Rabbi Frankus, you know, sunset with this time. And I walked in this time. And there's a source that says this. And I don't know if I should have Mincha, Yorik, Kabbalah, Shabbat. And he looked at me like I'm an idiot. And he says to me in his beautiful Polish accent, if you want to daven mincha, daven mincha. <laughs> I'm going to stop you from daven mincha. And he's basically saying, stop with the with the gishrayim about what time it is. Do you or do you want not want to stand and offer an amidah to God? If you do, go do it. Right? Nothing is stopping you. Right? Obviously, if I'd come in two hours later and it was pitch black, he wouldn't have given the same answer. But it was a lovely, simple reminder: Hey, don't ask stupid questions. And if you're yearning to do a mitzvah, go do it. And don't not do it because you're wondering if it's a minute too late, right? And don't not do it because, you know, you want, because you'll be able to make the excuse afterwards that the reason you didn't do it is because something got in your way. <laughs> so practically, Pesach Sheni to the modern Jew means very little, right? It's a day on which um, no tachanun is said, so if you're daily minion goer, the, the part of the davening 
um, that you don't say when it's a slightly joyful day, you admit. If today had been Pesach Sheni, we wouldn't have said Tzidkatcha, those three lines after the Amidah. They're tiny little liturgical <laughs> reminders, right? Um, when I was in, um, in Monroe, there was a member of my shul who had to go on a last minute urgent business trip. He was a pretty observant guy and he could not be home for Pesach. And he was in a place where there was no alternative, right? And he felt, felt rotten about it. Like this is someone who, 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 in every other year of his life, he's subsequently passed away, um, he would do a religious Pesach. And so we organized for him on the 14th day of ER at our shul in Monroe, a Pesach Sheni. And you know, the, you, know you, you don't, as a modern Jew, have that obligation. This was about um, the Korban, not about uh, a Seder, because the Seder didn't exist yet. But we did like a mini Seder. We didn't say, he didn't say brachas, right? But he had matzah and his other rituals because he knew the rule and he figured he missed it. Now he didn't miss it because he was taking care of a mate mitzvah. But if you take the Lubavitch approach, he missed it and now he has an opportunity to do so. So um, I hadn't gone deep into Pesach Sheni in a while. And I wanted to share this with you as a reminder, both of this day on the calendar that used to mean much more than it did. Uh, and a reminder that one of the Jewish philosophies in life is that uh, if you miss something significant for a very, very legitimate reason, or even for less so, what the Holy One wants from you more than, more than anything else is to try again the next time. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.